name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. St. Augustine was walking along the beach one day, and he was thinking about and really puzzling over the complexity of the Trinity when he saw a young child, a young boy, with a bucket running back and forth between the ocean and a hole he had dug in the sand. He asked the little boy what he was doing. The little boy says, well, I'm taking the ocean and I'm putting it in this hole. Well, Augustine said that that was when he realized that he had been trying to put the infinite God into his infinite mind, into his finite mind. Christians had been wrestling with this holy mystery ever since the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Today's Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday once again. So today is yet another chance for you to see how far the priest can get into the sermon before he commits heresy. I think Brad did this to me on purpose. You know, most Sundays of the year we talk not about the doctrine of the church, but try through Scripture and reason and tradition to focus on God's doing not really His being we try to focus on what God has done in history and how that defines and advances our relationship to Him today today we focus on the sacred itself and I have in past years tried in my own way to explain the holy mystery of the Trinity. St. Athanasius tried to do it in the creed which he wrote, and that creed, by the way, is on page 864 in the Book of Common Prayer, and let me recommend it to you. After about the sixth or seventh reading, it begins to make a little bit of sense. St. Patrick tried to do it with the example of the shamrock. And in the past, I've used what works for me, which is explaining the Trinity by the multiplicative formula of one, i.e. one times one equals one. But folks, I want you to understand that no mortal can adequately define or explain that inexplicable holy mystery that is our triune God. For most of us, it's a familiar concept and it's been part of our core belief system since we were children. But for those outside the Christian faith or those who are new to faith, the concept of three co-eternal, co-equal persons that are in fact one God makes very little sense. St. Athanasius lived in the 4th century and one is the, was one of the chief defenders of the Orthodox faith at the Council of Nicaea. That was, at that time, he was 27 years old. 
He was a 27-year-old deacon at the Council of Nicaea back in 325 A.D. Yet he made a real impact on the council and on the trajectory of the faith henceforth and for all time. He had a significant input into that wording, the wording of the Nicene Creed. And he developed the Athanasian Creed primarily to combat two errors that up to that time had been widely believed. The first of those heresies denied that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are of one being with the Father. The other was that Jesus Christ was not really true God and true man. Before that time, there was a widely held belief that Jesus only looked like a person. He only looked like he was a true human what was really God in disguise. Well, in today's Gospel, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears, and He will declare it to you, the things that are to come. Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he was telling them that he will continue to speak through them, or speak to them, but speak to them through the Holy Spirit. What Jesus doesn't say in this particular scripture reading is that there are so many competing voices in this world that it's sometimes difficult to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit over the din of noise that this world is constantly screaming into our ears. There are so many voices that at times it's really hard to know which voice is truly the voice of the Holy Spirit. So what is the true test? What is the test of whether the words we're hearing are the voice of God or one of those other voices that compete for our attention, our energies, and would then confuse our faith. The Spirit's Word will always, always be consistent with that of the Father and God the Son. There is a standard for judging the Word of those who claim to be led by the Spirit. Is their word and are their actions consistent with the word and the actions of God the Father and God the Son? If their words are based on anything, anything but love for all of God's children, then their word does not come from the Spirit of truth. It's important that all Christians be able to make such judgments amid the cacophony of competing voices that are always competing in our ear. And most often, it is only by stealing away by ourselves, away in prayer, that our hearts can listen and really fully understand and hear and discern the voice of the Spirit. You know, there's a story about an old guy who was taken his usual walk one evening. He was enjoying the crisp night air and the wind blowing over his bald head. 
when suddenly he heard a small feminine voice say, Help me. Help me. Well, he looked around. He didn't see anything. So he walked on. And a few feet farther on, he heard again, Help me. Help me. Well, this time he looked down. He saw a small frog on the sidewalk. He gently picked that frog up and looked at it very carefully. Then the frog spoke again. I'm really a very beautiful princess. And if you kiss me, I will kiss you and hug you and love on you forever. Well, the man looked at the little frog and he thought for a moment. Then he put the frog in his shirt pocket. And he continued his walk. Well, before very long, the frog looked up out of his, out of his pocket and said, Why don't you kiss me? The man looked down at the frog and said, Frankly, at this stage of my life, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> Now this guy looked at the frog and realized that the most important thing in life is relationships. And I suspect that he preferred the relationship with a frog over a young princess who would run off and leave him for some handsome young man with a full head of hair. The truth is that we are, in large measure, defined by our relationships. But when we seek to define those relationships by anything other than that relationship itself, we seem to find empty words. Words incapable of truly expressing the reality of a caring and loving relationship. It's our relationship with God that defines us as Christians. And it's best understood through faith, through His grace, and even when we find that relationship inexplicable in terms of verbiage. You know, I'll leave the deep theology of these holy mysteries to those who were given the gift of intellect. If St. Augustine felt that the Holy Trinity was too complex for his finite mind, then a simple country priest has absolutely no chance. The reality of our belief in the living God relies not on doctrinal definition by intellectuals, but on our personal relationship (coughs) with the Creator. Theological reflection, definition, and dogma are important to be sure and are necessary in the implementation and the living out of our faith. But what's most important is the relationship. Why the Creator chose to be in relationship with His creation. Why He chose to pursue His acts of saving grace in and through the likes of us will remain a holy mystery, certainly to me. So what should we carry home 
on Trinity Sunday. Well, what we should carry home on Trinity Sunday is that the Trinity is the relationship of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And because I have been created in the image and likeness of God, I exist in relationship with Him and with others. I am who I am because God is who God is. Amen.